I'm Sarah Burke, and this is the Women in Media podcast. I am joined today by someone who calls herself um, a broadcasting pirate. I'm going to let her explain that <laughs> one in a moment, but you may be familiar with her work from her current show, Steel Advanced. She does work with Al Jazeera, podcasting, voiceover work. She's got her own company. Take it away. Jody Vance is here. Good to be with you. I've been watching and listening to your podcast, and I got to say that last episode with Jennifer Valentine. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. I have a fun fact with Jen Valentine. So when she was laid off by Rogers, I was laid off by Rogers on the same day from Breakfast Television in Vancouver and the same day that George Strombolopoulos was let go from Hockey Night in Canada. So we were like the top line club of the century. No kidding. Oh, man. Did you reach out to her when when you were let go? Oh, gosh, yeah. You guys are friends? Well, like this, right? Okay. Women in media friends lift each other up. Yeah. We've had the opportunity to be in the same room together and hi. Um, But we just have a real common experience when it comes to what it's like to be a woman in in media in Canada. Mm, Yeah. That's why I'm here. There's so much to cover, but let's start with what you want people to know about you and your background in broadcasting. I find it really interesting, too, that, you know, I'm in Ontario and everything seems to be very Toronto-centric. I feel like I know all of the personalities in this province very well, but a name like you, I have to stumble on through my feed, my connections, right? So I've seen a lot of your stuff through others' feeds, like my colleague Jan Arden, for example. I love her. She's our unofficial co-host on Steel and Vance, to be honest. Yeah. Steel and Vance, by the way, this is what I'd like people to know is the, the latest thing we're working on, because I think it's important. Linda and I joined forces basically by happenstance. She's a colleague of mine. We worked in radio together when she was at CKNW. I'd fill in for her. I'd fill in for her co-host. So we were kind of part of the same team, but I didn't I was a pirate there. Didn't work for them, but I, I still contract work for CKNW. Anyways, we wanted to do something together because she had left that role, but was still needing an outlet. I'm like, well, let's do a podcast. Just to chew on world events. She's very, very smart and and an investigative journalist, longtime six o'clock anchor in Edmonton. And yeah, and then that just sort of fell into uh, Czech TV, which people in Ontario and people really on the other side of the Rockies would not know. If you're east of the Rockies, you probably have watched Czech but you don't know it because that's the channel that Jeopardy's on. Oh, okay. <laughs> and okay, okay. So we come right out of Jeopardy on Thursday nights. But Czech Media is the only employee-owned media outlet in North America. I learned a bit about this from actually uh, your colleague who nominated you to come on, Tess Van Stratton. Oh, I love my Tess. Power Tess. Yeah, so she was on a couple months ago and she nominated you as well. Very nice. Um, you know, to what you were saying about, you know, people knowing me, I've been around now. I started in radio in 1989. I'm 55 and I'm proud of it. Fuck yes. I'm that Annie McDowell vibe of like, I'm tired of trying to pretend I'm not what I am. I'm 55. I got some friends who were like, stop saying it out loud because you're telling people how old I am. And I'm like, calm down. There's so much there. But I literally got my job. This is if, if there's one takeaway from somebody watching who's aspiring to do this or is feeling like they, they can't do the thing that they want to do, even if it's not a media thing. I just kept saying it out loud, Sarah. 
I was bartending at Bruce Allen's Christmas party in 1988. I think I was working sick. I think I was under the weather and I was I had to run the bars. So I gave everybody else the other cool opportunities. And I had this crappy little office that was Bud's office that had no windows. So I put up signs that said Bud's bar and I would pouring without shot glasses because it's Bruce Allen's Christmas party. I'm not using, you know, tell me when to stop. And for anyone who doesn't know who Bruce Allen is, management company, uh, our, our friend Jan Arden, part of this company as well. Anything else yes. you want to add? Michael Bublé, Brian Adams, Bob Rock. like The who's who. Yeah, Bruce. So there I'm in Bud's bar and people were saying like, you seem like such an outgoing person. What do you want? To, what do you, what are you looking to aspire to do? And I said, oh, I want to be a sportscaster on TV. I want to get into radio and then I want to get into television. And unbeknownst to me, there were a group of people standing in front of that bar who were in the process of launching a radio station and were looking for somebody to hand out stickers in a shopping mall. You said it out loud. I said it out loud, girl. So what station did you get your start at? CHRX AM 640, uh, the first ever classic rock station uh, in the country. Amazing. Think about where classic rock has gone from then. But I was, you know, 20. And you've got that voice. I can just picture it introducing a Zeppelin song and I'm already excited. <laughs> You're so sweet. I was nowhere near the control room, though. I was the community cruiser driver. So I was the one who drove around in the logoed vehicle and I'd set up the signs. That's how I got my start. It's so great. It was the most fun. And then everything just sort of blossomed from there. And I kept saying my stuff out loud all the way along, including when I got the opportunity to do the dream job of even getting to be a sports broadcaster once, like just one time. My boss at what ultimately was CKNW CFMI, another radio station, a larger radio station, I'd worked my way up. Um, my boss there, Ron Bremner, heard me say that I wanted to do sports. And when he moved up the chain to the TV network, BCTV, he called one day and said, do you still want to do sports? You should come and have lunch with me here. Unbeknownst to me, they were planning on firing the two 25-year-old veterans, sports broadcasters who are iconic. Um, and then just plunk the girl with no, no uh, experience in. So I've been that person too. So when people are like, oh, look at this person with no experience getting that job. I wonder what box they check. It's like, well, you know, everybody's got to start somewhere. Everyone's got a dream. Yeah. Like, what was I supposed to say? No. I, and, and then those classy, classy individuals in John McKeechee and Bernie Pascal, just heroes of my life called me the day that I was being thrown into it and having never done it before um, and said, you go girl, you can do this. And they're still my friends and they still support me all these years later. So yeah, that's coming up on 30 years ago. It's hard to believe. It's really hard to believe. An exciting part of your story, both for your dream as well as for the country and broadcasting, you, you were part of some history making. You want to talk about that? I would like to talk about that because yet again, Sarah, it's somebody who happened to hear me say my thing out loud. Now, most people in Ontario or in the, in Eastern Canada, nationally, frankly, but definitely in Ontario would probably know the name Scott Moore. So Scott is the man who created Sportsnet. Before it was Sportsnet, it was called S3, you know, a working title. Got it. Um, and it was CTV that, that he was working under. And he had formerly worked at TSN. So Scott Moore came out to Vancouver and wanted a tour of Vancouver Television, which was the new first digital station in the country, sort of an independent out here. 
and I was the only person in the sports department there. I was, you know, learning my way up the ladder and loving it. But I got asked if I would show this guy from Toronto around. That's all I was told. So I was like, sure, okay, you know, I'm, I'll talk to anybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is who I am. And so I walked him around and I'm, you know, oh God, when I think back to the rudimentary tour I gave this man, this is the control room. I didn't talk with verbal fry, but I feel like I did in hindsight, you know, <laughs> and I stand here when I do my sports. And at the end of about a half an hour where I took him through the whole station, he's like, so, you know, where do you see yourself in five years? Everybody should have an answer to that no matter what. Ready and I've always go. had that Oprah kind of thing. Like, say the thing that's the biggest thing you can come up with without laughing. Yeah, yeah. Right? So I said, well, I understand that there's this new network that's starting. It's called S3. Um, I want to be the first woman on the desk at that sports channel. And he goes, oh. Huh. And he left. Come back eight months later and uh, Sportsnet's launched and I see who's launched it because we're all the same company. And I'm like, hey, I know that guy. <laughs> <laughs> and he'll tell the story. He loves to make me tell this in front of him, which makes me horrifyingly blush. But he says, you know, it was that moment standing in Vancouver television in my little spot when I said, I want to be the first woman on the desk at Sportsnet. He decided I would be. It gives me chills. Isn't it cool? So then he brought me out to fill in. I was on the first, uh, like the dress rehearsal for Sportsnet. And then I would contribute from the Pacific region. And then that summer of 1999, he flew me out. Um, I stayed for a month and a bit. And I filled in on all the shows, uh, which was so much fun. And he taught me to be myself. I tried really hard to be one of the guys. Like I really thought I had to be like, the other people there, because I was the only woman in there, there were women behind the scenes, lots of women involved. I should really point this out. I'm not the first in this regard. But he took me aside after my first um, fill-in moment and said, you did great, uh, but you're trying to be like the guys. And I didn't hire you to be like the guys. He said to me, and Sarah, this was so defining for how I do my life now. He said, I want 100% Jody Vance. I want so much, Jody Vance. I want you to push the envelope. He goes, I want you to push the envelope so hard that you that I have to pull you back. And when you step in it, and I 100% expect that you will, I will support you. And I was like, okay. These types of confirmations, you know, especially at a younger age when you're like figuring out your career are so defining, especially coming from a man who's telling you to be less of one of the guys and more like you. I'm super grateful. He is still in my life. I still do work with him and around him. And yeah, it moves me because of what that has meant to me of over the years. Because I will tell people, if you're hiring me to be something that I'm not, I don't know how to do that. Yeah. And I'm a lot. Like, I'm, I'm this all the time. <laughs> Before this fellow pointed this out to you, do you remember having any reservations about getting into sports as a woman, like growing up in your family, your groups of friends? Well, my mom thought I was a little bit nuts when I told her when I was about eight years old that I wanted to do it. But my dad was, my parents had split when I was very young. So I had every other weekend with dad and he was the head of the PE department at the largest high school in Vancouver. It's rather downtown east side-ish, but a very large school. And 
he was there for a long, long time. And I was coach's daughter. My brother would go into the locker room because dad's office was in the locker room and I'd sit on a bench outside the locker room, <laughs> obviously, because I'm a kid. And I had been like, one day I'm going in there, having the older brother who commanded the TV. Um, and really, I loved sports even back then, but I'd like to hold that over his head. Um, we would watch you know, Hockey Night in Canada, or, you know, we'd watch the Canucks, and I would listen to Jim Robson. He's my hero. I love Jim Robson, longtime play-by-play man for the Vancouver Canucks. He was the original. Just an unbelievable broadcaster, just a genius and a gem of a person. And I, would, I was sitting there one day as a kid thinking, God, that seems like a good job. Right. He's at the game. He's watching. Sounds like he's having a great time. You know, that's a that's a cool job. I've learned since then that play-by-play is an an art form oh, yeah. that only a very no few can do. Right. But so I just started saying, you know, that's what I want to do. And I was fully prepared. I got my chef certificate. I went to culinary school to make sure that I had my something to fall back on. So I had my red seal in culinary. I can, wow. I, I can cook. So people always got to eat. Yeah, yeah. So I've just kind of, no. And anybody who said, I hope this doesn't make me sound all weird, pompous or whatever, but I, when people would be like, yeah, good luck with that, I'd be like, okay, thanks. <laughs> you know, like that was motivating for me. Oh, I feel you. I have a cousin and he he listens to the podcast. So Todd, if you're listening, hello. Hi, Todd. I don't know if Todd would remember this, but uh, yeah, at the end of high school when I was starting to talk about what I wanted to do in journalism and all that stuff. And he was exactly like, yeah, good luck with that which I understand why people say that. It's a shrinking business, sure. et cetera. There's lots of reasons. But he just approached me to do a podcast, and I'm like, hi, Cousin Todd. Let's just rewind for a sec, shall we? Anyway, his podcast is a great idea. It's about uh, mindfulness in sport. So Ooh. more on that to come. Text me that because that's my, that's my jam right there. Okay. Like See, Todd, it's going to be a hit. It's going to be a hit. Yeah. Back to you, though. So now when other women started coming into, let's call it the broadcast center at Sportsnet, um, and you started seeing more female faces on air, public facing, did you find like camaraderie and community there or was there weird vibes? Like how was it back? Would it have been 2000, the year 2000 around then? Yeah, it would have been 2000. Um, you know, both. Like as as weird and camaraderie as there would have, was with the dudes because you would have expected them to be unwelcoming, the, the guys in the room, and they weren't. I'm still, I was just chatting the other day with, day before yesterday with one of the people who was instrumental in my landing there in Darren Millard, uh, Brad Fay, Kevin Quinn, you know, Jamie Campbell, Mike Toth. These guys are all still my friends, right? Like, so those are the people. And Martine Guyard's still there. She ended up taking over the position that I left. And I remember watching her on the score and being like, damn, she's so good. She's so good different good right yeah, and yeah. and Catherine Humphreys when Catherine Humphreys left to go have babies and, and have a life I'm like don't go <laughs> yeah. you know so did I get along with absolutely everybody no but did I get along with most everybody yes yeah and so many of them are still my friends and I think that's true in, in any work environment so of course yeah. um, mostly though I'm very happy to report uh, it's a community of people. Even the people you compete against are your friends. I get to this day, I get like, a, I'm going to tell you this, but don't tell anybody. Okay. So nobody's listening, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Chris Cuthbert, you know, Chris Cuthbert, who's like doing the play by play on the Leafs right now. Yep. 
that guy DMs me support all the time. Loves stealing bands. Really? Is such a huge fan. Like sends me like, you're just killing it out there. Like, <laughs> what? Thanks, man. I love yeah. Chris Cuthbert. Yeah, Don Landry. I mean, I could, the list goes on and on. Okay, so after Sportsnet, take us on the journey that led to Steel and Vance. I left Sportsnet and I went to Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment and I actually did Leafs TV. Scott Moore left Sportsnet. I was his, you know, person. So when a new person came in, they want to bring in their person. And I kind of felt like that writing was on the wall. And then Dean Bender, who was working with Scott at Sportsnet, was at MLSE. And he said, why don't you come here? Because we're relaunching this and it'll get you back to the rink. Was Paul Hendrick there at that point? Yes. Yeah, so, Henny, I actually worked a ton with Paul Hendrick. I was responsible for Henny's haircut. I'll send you that video. Because remember he had like the, I made him get like the, <laughs> and we recorded it with O-Dog. Jeff O'Neill was there. See, that's the type of feature stuff that we were able to do at Leafs TV. Yeah. Um, and I was broadcasting live from gate one. Then I um, got pregnant with my miracle baby after two and a half years of fertility treatment. And um, I actually was on set Leafs Habs at gate one. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, eight plus months pregnant. And I was leaving to have a couple of weeks to sort of settle myself before giving birth. I gave birth two days later. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, that was too. Um, so I did MLSE, then I became a mom. And then the financial crash that um, everybody felt, my baby daddy, my ex-husband now, but partner in parenting, uh, was the assistant general manager for the Blue Jays. And he had been there for years okay. and years. And so he was let go um, by the Jays, as you do. Um, and I said, okay, well, where are we going? Where, where in the world are we going to do baseball? And he goes, you know what? I'm done with baseball. And I'm like, okay, Vancouver it is because he promised me we're going home. Mm -hmm. So I, I luckily found a job doing radio again. This was music radio back to my roots with my, you know, having an 18 month old child that, that served my <laughs> needs to parent and my want to be a part of his all the time. But so I got moved back to work at Shore 104, kept my toe in the sports world by doing some fill-in at CBC, just for scale, Yeah, just a fill-in girl. And wouldn't you know the Canucks in 2011 go on a crazy Stanley Cup run and the people at CBC go, would you do the post-game show? And I'm like, yeah. And there I am standing in CBC, following a Canucks game in the Stanley Cup final, listening to having just cut the highlights, me and an editor, it was four of us who worked on the show. <laughs> oh my God. And it was like, okay, my heart's pounding. I'm standing there and I'm listening to Ron McLean go, and now for more post-game playoff hockey coverage on Hockey Night in Canada, we go to Vancouver and Jody Vance. And I'm like, I can die now. <laughs> like, oh my God. Oh my God. I know that. So funny. that happens. And so while I'm doing that, Scott Moore calls again and Dean Bender are now at Rogers and they're doing breakfast television at City TV and they want me to audition for that while I'm at Shore doing Seeking Stanley with a small child. Can we secretly audition you with Riaz Megji to see if you want to get up at four o'clock in the morning? And I was like, okay, well, when it rains, it pours, right? So I was like, da, 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 da. and then it all works out somehow. So that was five years at BT. As I told you off the top of this podcast, 
top lined as happens when there's layoffs. It's like, okay, who's making the most? Those people are gone. Yep. And I was like, turning off that alarm clock. Yep. Five years of low grade pissed off. I was done with being sleep deprived. Got into just freelance and trusting that the work will be there. Yeah. Uh, I'm there right now. Yeah. Because there's no real security in broadcast or journalistic media anyway. Yeah. You might as well have your own. Yeah. And I've been offered jobs that are really great, significant jobs since starting my own company. And all of them came with exclusivity. And I'm like, wait, you want me to give up everything I've built to put all of my eggs in your basket? No. No. So Steel and Vance, Linda and I own the show and we lease it to check. So now it's our show. If we want to change everything on that show, we can do it by sitting and having a conversation like this and starting tomorrow. It's wild. And you can sell it elsewhere if that doesn't end up being the right home for it forever. Exactly. We can take it wherever it needs to go. And people are great. People love it. And they're like, we need more of it. And I'm like, that's perfect. That's exactly what I want. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So now that I've been listening to you, you know, speak through a little bit of the, the journey. So some questions that have popped up along the way. Sure. How did it go when you and your partner were ready to think about having a kid? The sports world, personal life versus professional life. How did you work through that? Did you have trouble with it? I didn't really care what anybody else thought. I know that's really shocking. <laughs> because I was ready to just, you know, well, I'm going to do whatever's next in my life. And if that doesn't work for these people. Um, initially, when going down that path, it was right after we got married. I waited later in life to get married. I was 36. My husband turned 30 on our honeymoon. Never in my life had I worried about my biological clock ticking or anything like that, because I always thought, well, if I can't have children, I can adopt or I can foster to adopt. I just never worried. Um, and then, so after we got married, it was always our plan to just see what happens. Uh, I got pregnant pretty quickly and it was super exciting. And then I had a miscarriage and, and we had told everybody cause I was super excited and I have a little bit of a mouth on me. So I was like, Oh my God. And then I went to the doctor and she's like, yeah, you know what happens? And it's super common and people don't really talk about it a lot. And once you talk about it, you'll find out just how common it is. And boy, is she ever right mm. about that. Did you go to air with it? I didn't because I hadn't gone there with it yet. So it felt a little personal. It was like, mm. yep. Yeah. And it wasn't like I didn't want to or think I should. It just didn't, it didn't occur to me then. And then I got pregnant probably three months later, maybe close. Um, and then I was more like, Ooh, yay. And I was quieter about it. And then I had a miscarriage again. Oh shit. And I was like, Oh, okay. And then I didn't get pregnant and then I didn't get pregnant and then I didn't get pregnant. And I was like, oh, okay. And then six months passed and I went back to the doctor and she's like, okay, and now we should probably talk, checking out what the issues might be. And yeah. So I went in and did the full panel and we did what so many families do. You start with the varying degrees. I mean, we could do an entire podcast about fertility if you want to, because <laughs> I learned so much. But suffice to say, two and a half years, 17 days every month, I would go at 6.30 in the morning to a clinic in downtown Toronto, and I would have blood work and an internal ultrasound every day for 17 days every month for two and a half years to monitor my body, my hormones, 
the production of eggs, seeing what the eggs looked like, uh, and then planning what the steps are, whether it was um, uh, timed intercourse or IUI, which is where they spin things to, to make the sperm very specific and insert it at a certain time when your hormones are just right. Like there are all these things they do before you get to IVF. And I ended up going all the way to IVF and went through my first round. I was at Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. I'll never forget it. In the women's bathroom at what was the Air Canada Center, injecting myself with the hormones before a show. <laughs> but I was just doing it because, okay, that's part of that. Now I'll go back to work. That one round of IVF got blown because I didn't produce enough eggs to warrant it. And then I went to this physician um, on Madison Avenue, right across really from the Madison Avenue pub, the Maddie. It's so crazy when I think back of it. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, I'm the place where people go with the lost causes. I'm the one person who will handle your whole case. And the referral to this man was life changing. And he's like, we're going to give it one good shot. And if that doesn't work, you're going to have to go down a separate path, whether that's a donor egg and blah, 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 right, blah. Right. I learned so much. So my one shot, I had five eggs retrieved that turned into three embryos. He said, I have two C plus students and one valedictorian. <laughs> and Brady was my transfer. So when I became pregnant, my husband was in Dunedin, Florida oh, at shit. the Blue Jays spring training. And I was there, you know, with my friend Luch. Like I'm on an ultrasound and I'm watching this happen. And in my head, I heard ding. <laughs> and that ding is now six foot one. He's 15. Oh that my was, God. yeah. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcasts wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. That was St. Patrick's Day because my doctor called me and goes, have a green beer because it's the last beer you're having for a year. Oh, that's a great way to break the news, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And th well, then you had to wait, right? You got to wait to see if it takes. And, and at, for a while there, it looked like I was going to have twins because they did put three in and then two went away, which was a little bit scary. Baby number two, whatever, embryo number two, which caused a little bit of bleeding. And anybody who's had a miscarriage knows that that's the, where you think... It's not going to work. And so I was really scared the whole time I was pregnant that something might go wrong, which I know there's somebody listening right now who knows what that feels like. And, you know, all of the women who sat in that waiting room with me at that time at Dr. Young's clinic, every single one of them ended up becoming a mother in one way or another. Believe that you will, you know, believe that you will. And that's not about biology. And, and honestly, had it not been my reality, I would have found another path 
and I really applaud women who fight for it and and then ultimately because any other of those pregnancies had been viable it wouldn't be him you know so it was all worth it it's really interesting too because like you had no shame being in the bathroom injecting things and you know right before going live to air but I imagine up here in, in, in the brain space, it's a little bit harder to work through that stuff and what's going on behind the scenes because there's this person that you have to be while you're on camera. Yeah. How have you dealt with that over the years? I mean, we're going to talk about your big story that's made national headlines coming up. But overall, when something tough has been going on behind the scenes, how do you handle that? I trust that my autopilot is authentic. I'm not afraid to be wrong. I'm not afraid to say, I'm sorry. Today's not my day or whatever. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. Didn't mean to see that, <laughs> you know, or whatever it is. My mission is to never have to have those things happen, but I forgive myself when, and I think my audience does too, my, the audience does, because I'm not trying to pull anything over on anybody. And that's why these last few years, and in and, and speaking about the harassment piece, is so painful because I don't have an agenda. When somebody yells, you know, lib, tart, snowflake, or whatever, I'm like, really? Me? Like, I do take that personally because I put myself into this. I'm not trying to be a celebrity. I don't need red carpets and awards. And I love red carpets and awards, don't get me wrong, but I don't, I don't aspire for that. I aspire for this. I want to talk about stuff. I want to help one person. Anyone in that, even the sports desk history making conversation that we already had, anyone in that position showing a, you know, some suit from Toronto around might have said, I want to interview Doug Gilmore. Like that might have been the dream. You said, I want to be yeah. the first woman on the sports desk. Right. And so in that, along those lines, I wasn't the first woman ever on a desk. It, Scott Moore actually moved me from Sports Central AM to the supper hour slot. And while there had been women who were a part of a team on the supper hour slot, I was the first woman in the history of Canadian television to host her own sports program nationally in prime time. So it was very niche and unique. And to be honest with you, I did my first show before I knew that stat because I saw it in the press release that came out after. I'm like, really? <laughs> you're right, you're right. I'm like, what? Me? What? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Hope that hits my Wikipedia page. So coming back, I do want to talk about this difficult story. I think you've had a lot of time to sit with it, figure out how you want to position it when you speak about it. You know, this has been going on behind the scenes for so many years now. It's just we just learned about it. So I would like you to talk about the moment you knew that you couldn't handle it yourself despite your best efforts. Okay, so it started in 2015, right around the time Donald Trump came down the escalator, if you will, <laughs> that things in my inbox at CKNW, the radio station I fill in for in Vancouver for Chorus Radio, um, people started to get meaner, more tribal, more siloed, I guess, politically. Divisive. Divisive, yes. More insults lobbed. But I mean, it's not my first rodeo. Yeah. I've been in radio and TV for quite some time at this point. The thick skin, if you will. Yeah. And I know how to block people and I know how to be like, and, and it's my listener email account. So it's the email that I put out to the, like, hey, you got a comment, you got a question, email me, Jody at CKNW.com. So it's coming in on that. So I would get these emails from this guy and I interact with my audience and I'm like, hey, listen, you know, sorry to see you're having a bad day. And then he'd come back with another one. And so I was like, listen, please stop. And if you don't, you know, I'll just block you. And then he came back again. So I blocked it. 
but he had a very specific way of writing, all caps, like he'd go lowercase and then all caps and then lowercase and then all caps. It sounds like Donald Trump. A, <laughs> right? It does, doesn't it? So I would get all these emails from different email addresses that had sort of sexualized email addresses that would use my name and whatever. And I'd be like, okay, block, okay, block. And then somebody flagged that on a, on a chat group news board about radio where industry news is often posted, whatever. And for a long time, this particular website had been a go-to for people in the industry to, to read up on stuff. And then even the person running that site, which is why I won't mention it, became radicalized himself and and put up some really intolerant stuff and leaned really hard right and started to not just allow it, but cultivate yeah. an environment where that kind of speak. So I wouldn't go there, but people would tell me, okay, there's a guy named Richard that's like writing about you. And they'd send me a screen cap and I'm like, oh, okay, same guy. And then the names would change. So it wasn't Richard anymore. He'd used his real name at the start. Sorry, it's so hard to do seven years in just a couple of minutes. I know. I started to email all of the people that I would have on with me when I'm filling in on the radio station. He'd email all of the executives, the viewer line, the listener line, my colleagues and co-hosts and co-workers. Like it was just an absolute splatter spray of every time he hit send, it was hundreds of emails generated. And in each email would have a photo of me from my Twitter that had been somehow photoshopped. Like I did a health, not hate campaign where I wore a mask to try and stop, you know, the uh, racial attacks on people of Asian descent. It was just, it was a grassroots thing. Like it just try not, just try to be nice to each other while we're going through this kind of thing. But he put a communist flag on that. And then he sent um, a photo of an Auschwitz prison camp. And he mentioned my son. So I had reported it to the powers that be at the radio station before. I'm flagging these emails. You know, it's been a few years of them now. They happen constantly, some 10 times a day, even when I'm not working on the radio station. And and I block them all. And they're like, yeah, well, there's really not much we can do because we don't really know who, you know, where he might be or whatever. But one of the people that I had interviewed Jesse Miller at Mediated Reality is a social media educator and also an online security educator. He's a very, very brilliant man. And this individual was copying in Jesse on stuff. So Jesse was like, this is weird. And Keith Baldry, who's our legislative bureau chief for Chorus out here, he was getting them. I was copied in on a death threat to Dr. Bonnie Henry, our provincial health officer, like things escalated, like a spike. Yeah. And so that's when I was like, okay, I'm calling the cops. So I called the non-emergency line, um, took a long time to get through um, because they, again, were like, do we really know who this person is? And everybody's feeling some harassment right now. And it's happening to a lot of people. But once I got through to the constable who said, okay, gather together everything you have and put it on a zip drive and leave it in your mailbox and I'll come and pick it up or you can drop it off at, at headquarters. I'm like, great. Well, I blocked him mostly. So I went to my trash of my work account and I opened up the trash and Sarah, it populated in a way that made me sweat and sick to my stomach simultaneously. I feared for my life in that moment. I was like, oh my God, the obsession, the breadth and depth is astounding. The, The names that he made up, oh my God, I'll save your listeners from the 
the grossness because you'll get an E. This is a great example, though, of like why so many people choose not to engage, right? But this is what happens when you don't engage sometimes. They, they just try and try until they get your attention again. Yeah, indeed. So I gathered together all that evidence and I put it on the zip drive and I sent it to the police. And I was on air again and I was talking about online security and whatnot. And I had Jesse Miller on and Richard Oliver went at Jesse Miller one more time. And it triggered him to be like, this is too far. Like he attacked Jesse using my images from my Twitter. Like it was just, something's weird. So Jesse made a couple calls and in five minutes figured out who this person was, where he lived, all of his information. So he texted me and said, got time for a quick call. I said, yes. And then he, I'll never forget. He goes, grab a pencil. So I did. Let's go. And I wrote down name, address, phone number, married, three small children, works in senior care. I was like, are you kidding me right now? Mm. Okay. It took everything in my body not to call him immediately and say, what is wrong with you? (laughs) Yeah. Or like show up at the senior care home or something like something. But I'm like, people are at risk. Now I know who he is. I'm going to paint inside the lines. I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm going to do absolutely everything I can to see justice served here. So I didn't say his name out loud until March 10th of this year. Mm. I did not speak of it. What year is that now? Late, actually, it was late 2020. Because 2021 was when the detectives got activated. And that's when he got warned. And that's when, you know, like the dates are all over the map. But let's just put it into perspective. Six years after his first emails. <sighs> and thousands of emails later, right? And it got to that point. And still, I didn't get into a courtroom until March 2023 to make him stop. So it was quite, quite the journey. I had to hang his photo in the administrative office of my young son's high school. And he was going into grade eight as a 12-year-old because I had put him into school early because he's smart. So here he is going to school in a pandemic at 12 years old. And there's a photo of this man hanging in the office just in case anybody there sees him. They have to call 911 immediately. So it was one of those, like, I'll never get that sense of security back. But I'm not scared of him anymore. I'm just sick to my stomach about what he put me through. Yeah, like you seem very liberated from the situation right now. Thank you. Thank you for that. One thing that kind of stands out here as I'm listening to you talk is, like, there was not a lot of action, the people around you, until your guest. Yeah. Until Jesse got involved. And this sort of just brings me back to, you know, sometimes women aren't taken seriously, sometimes, right? Like all those things. And I know this is still new ground, right? I think your case is going to actually be a precedent setting case in Canada, to be honest. I hope so. It's new ground. So we'll give people grace with that. But even for like colleagues to brush it off, like when the volume, they should have been monitoring your email. By the time you discovered that in the trash, they should have already taken so much more action. Yeah. And my, my colleagues had flagged it to the bosses unbeknownst to me. I would find out much later that Linda Steele actually right. uh, had gone to the bosses going, uh, are you seeing what's happening to Jody? Keith Baldry did as well. The way it works in BC, the police put together the case and then the Crown approves charges. The police don't actually bring charges. And the recommendation when handed to the Crown was five counts of criminal harassment over six years. And by the time my case went to what was going to go to trial when the uh, joint agreement 
was created, which had nothing to do with me. I was not allowed to have an opinion on that. It, it had been whittled down to six months of evidence and one count. And he basically got off with a slap on the wrist and he won't even have a flag moving forward. If he does this to someone else after his 12 months of no contact, if he does this to someone else, there won't be a precedence for him. Like that's what's broken. And I, I can't change my outcome of what happened in court with me. That's not on the table. Everything I do moving forward is about exactly what you just referenced. There needs to be swift, meaningful reaction and consequences. I don't care if it's a, like a parking ticket or a speeding ticket. Do it once, be told to stop. Do it again, it's $100. Do it again, it's 1000 Do it again, it's 10000 Do it again, it's 100000 We'll take your house. You know, I think that would act as a deterrent for some of these like, you know, keyboard warriors if they thought maybe they wouldn't be able to get a, get their driver's license. Yeah, because the message that you're sending is you're going to get off if you do this. Absolutely. And that's wrong. And it is happening to women. And I have to acknowledge this, too. I should have acknowledged it right up front. But I'm in communication with some of the women in this country who are suffering at the hand of criminal harassment right now. Mm-hmm. like right this second. Women of color, women of an age where their working options in this industry reduce exponentially if they say, I'm being harassed because people are like, mm, I just don't. Mm. She's, she's a little too much to take on if she can't handle it. It's like, what? I'm not quoting any one person having said that, but that's the vibe, right? Yeah. And Sarah, I'm at a point in my career, I don't need that vibe. I'm going to use every ounce of energy to fight for them to not be put through what I went through. You should see my DMs. It blow your mind. I bet. I bet. And you did bring up an important part about like, you know, people from marginalized communities. Um, So how in your local community, I think that's where it starts. um, And obviously you're using your voice on a national scale. So beautiful. But locally, like what are some things that are you tackling this on your show? Are you lobbying? Like, what are you doing? And how do you think other women can get involved? Uh, we did tackle it on the show. And we've had some amazing guests on our show. We've been super lucky with the audience reaction to the program. We've had a great viewership. Um, but the particular discussion about what happened with my case was a, a rating spike. People <laughs> are interested because it's happening to everybody right now, right? So we're going to continue to talk about it on the show. But that, I think, sparked um, the Attorney General of British Columbia reaching out. I've had a preliminary meeting with Attorney General Nikki Sharma and her team. It was a 30-minute meeting. I was barely able to tell you the story in, what, 51 minutes? (laughs) And I've had support from Premier David Eby out here saying whatever we can do. And so I'm actively trying to create a space where some solutions might come to the table with regard to creating deterrence or swift. And I think swift is the biggie, swift and meaningful consequences, um, because that all goes together. For me, in terms of holding Richard Oliver to account, um, Jesse Miller and I have filed a civil suit that we have not yet served him with, because I have to figure out how that all works. Because legally speaking, for me to bring, for anyone to bring a civil suit like this, it's going to cost six figures. You know, it's going to be really expensive. And and I have to think about that 
Not that I'm not willing to do that, you know, but I can't put my family at risk in the name of this precedent. So how do I make that work? The legal team is right now considering if there's a way we can do this that wouldn't be oppressively cost prohibitive. Um, But at the same time, I'm not comfortable really with a GoFundMe campaign because I do have means, right? So I'm, I'm struggling as if that's fair to say, but I do have time now because putting that case on the books and you're right, it is a precedent setter in that it would be the first civil suit of criminal harassment ever brought to the Supreme Court of British Columbia. Um, So that's already a line that's been drawn in the sand. I just now have to sort out the mechanics of getting that done. And I want to do it. I want to do it. I just, I need to be mindful. I've been caught up in the rush of, this is such an injustice. I don't want a dime. I don't want a dime. With all the new legislation that's been drafted too, harassment and online keyboard warriors, all this stuff, this is now like a really important conversation. And I think there's going to be precedent set elsewhere as well. So I hope so. Huge kudos to you for talking about this. I know this is not easy. I could even feel you at the beginning of this recording and you now, I can feel how it affected you just in this 50 minutes, the change in your voice, like that someone has played this big of a role and impacting your life, not to mention the amount of time and effort that it takes to fight something like this, not only yeah. standing up for other women. I will tell you this, though. There was great satisfaction to the woman listening here going, it's not worth it. See, it wouldn't be worth it because there's no consequences. There was great satisfaction sitting in a courtroom and reading my truth, reading my victim impact statement and telling the judge who had no idea what he was coming into because the crown failed this case for sure. And the judge recognized that. And that aside, I was able for the first time to look in the eyes of this man and say to him that I hope no one ever does to your children what you did to mine. There's satisfaction in that. So punishment, not fitting it, but uh, there's a reason why I did it. And he entered a guilty plea. And granted, it wasn't all of the things that I thought if I painted inside the lines would be delivered to him, it was worth it. I'm so glad to hear that. Thank you for sharing. Uh, I know, like I said, I know it's not easy. The last uh, thing I always ask on the podcast is uh, who that you love and admire, would you nominate to come on and share their story? Oh my gosh. You can pick a couple names. Well, I mean, obviously Linda Steele. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, Linda's amazing. Um, who would I say? Neetu Garcha is an unbelievable uh, young broadcaster, young compared to me. Okay. <laughs> um, Neetu is incredibly smart and talented and a good storyteller and an awesome person. And I think the nation needs to learn about her. Okay. Where's she now? She's at Global. Okay. So she's working as a correspondent and, and filling in on Global National now, but she's been at Global BC. Cool. Um, yeah. Neetu Garcha. Okay. She's amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Quickly tell me about your business. My business, like Broadcast Pirate Services? Yeah. It's a business built on hell yes. <laughs> So the way I go through my projects, I have six or seven sort of secure-ish, as secure as you can get, clients that I have ongoing services that I do in various areas, whether it's writing or podcasting or television or radio or voiceover work or whatever. And then other opportunities come my way and they go through the, the filter. And if I go, 
I don't know. The workaholic in me, and I know you're one too. Oh God, how can you tell? <laughs> oh, I know. I watch you. I listen to you. We know each other. Um, but it goes through my filter. And just in the last couple of years, I've learned that if it's a, huh, that's not a hell yes, that's how I decide on the projects I'm doing next. Yeah. Is it a hell yes or a hell no? Because if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. And that doesn't mean I will be the best Subway sandwich artist you've ever met in your life. If I need to work, I loved waitressing. I'm not above hard work of any kind. So that gives me comfort in, you know, I've never had to fall back on my red seal for culinary, but I've been ready to if I had to, you know, so that's my corporate elevator talk is when I started broadcast pirate services, I didn't know what, what that would mean or what that would look like. I thought I had to work for a company and I don't. I am a company. I even was able to get a mortgage by being self-employed. We've grown up in a, in a time where we thought we had to. We just don't. We have to just believe in what we're doing and work hard. I work hard. That's my company. I'm at the beginning of that journey right now, and I needed to hear everything you just said. So thank you. You can do it. Don't, <laughs> don't let other people's want for some idea of security stop you from doing exactly what you're doing every day wake up and say what does today bring and what do i want to fit in in between my you know i'm doing this with you this is work doesn't feel like work no, don't feel like right? work at all oh my god right? this is amazing <laughs> that's what you need to do with all of the time that you can doing that and then in between times you get out i'm gonna go walk the dogs in the trees or i'm gonna tuck up to my little easel over there and try my crafty painting you know whatever Whatever it is, do your thing, girl. Thank you so much for coming on the Women in Media podcast. I love being here. Have me back. I just friggin' loved speaking with Jody Vance. Please check out the episode notes for more information on her business, on her show, Steel and Vance, and where you can find her on social media. And don't you dare think about sending that woman anything unpleasant or else. Next up, I will be speaking with Erica M., who you probably would recognize from... I don't know, a decade on Much Music. She's a media personality. She's an entrepreneur. And as nominated by her pal, Jen Valentine, she will be on the next episode of the Women in Media podcast. Thanks as always for listening. Back in a couple weeks. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.